Hello and welcome to another new episode of the Three Bid League podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler, and we're going to be talking about the quarterfinal games in the A-10 tournament with a few great guests today, but we're going to start things off by talking about St. Louis's win over UMass. We are joined by Zach Miller of the Midtown Madness podcast. Welcome back, Zach. Hey, what's going on, man? Good to, uh, good to talk to you guys. I'm a little salty. You brought on my homie, uh, West Pine Bills, my homies, West Pine Bills, and I was a little, uh, was a little hurt you left me out. Hey, we got, we got to mix it up sometimes, and you know, uh, two on West Pine, two on here, all of a sudden a five-man pod starts getting pretty crowded, but that's why we brought no, you on today. We saved no, you for awesome. the playoffs. Yeah, hi, hi. you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm, they don't call me Big Game Miller for nothing. Yeah, you are the man who found his way onto the court to grab the trophy two years ago. And the Billikens maybe are a game closer to maybe touching that same trophy here next weekend. 86-72 win over UMass. The biggest stat lines belonging to Javante Perkins, 25 points. Jordan Goodwin, an 18-14 and double-double. And Yuri Collins, a 17-5-5 triple nickel. So I think I'll just start out by asking you, who were you most impressed with in this game? Because I think all three of them, and Hassan French on defense, all had some great performances today. You know, we did an episode to preview uh, St. Louis's outlook going into the tournament, and um, everybody kind of said Fred Thatch being the guy outside the big three that needs to step up. Yuri Collins, my goodness. Um, no, we didn't say Yuri Collins. Uh, and he came through uh, big time in this game. Um, 18 points. Uh, or no, I'm sorry, 17 points, uh, five rebounds, five assists, unbelievable game. Uh, two of five from three, that's more than you can ask for out of him. Uh, I noted to my co-host, Peter, uh, shout out to Pete, by the way, he's amazing co-host. Um, I noted to him that I, I think when the announcers talk about Yuri Collins' three-point shooting as being 26%, I think they don't take into account the idea that like, they're not looking to get him open shots. He's usually taking a shot in necessity. So if he's shooting, like, uh, Ill, not ill-advised, but, you know, a covered three, his, his percentage isn't going to be there. You know what I'm saying? Like a guy like, uh, like Goodwin who maybe uh, gets open shots. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and we saw two of Collins' three misses from deep today were, like, two mm-hmm. seconds left on the shot clock, and they were absolute bricks. But – he was covered exactly. and just trying to get the ball up. And the way they were exactly. rebounding, that wasn't a bad move just to try to hit the rim. No, the rebounding, I mean, it was complete domination. And I think Billiken fans kind of saw a little preview of that uh, in the prior game because, I mean, the big men for SLU made uh, Trey Mitchell look like a little, little boy uh, in that first game. Uh, he just – was getting pushed around constantly. And even in this game, you saw French just give a two-hand shove, which was freaking awesome. Yeah, the St. Louis Bigs were incredibly physical in this game. You saw that in the foul totals. French had four. Jimmy Bell Jr. had three. Martin Lindzen took all five of his and walked out of that game a happy man with 11 minutes to play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of things that you can really praise about SLU in this game. Really, the physicality, not only on Mitchell, but just all over the court on defense was what really stood out to me. And the biggest thing was in the first five minutes of that game, they realized that UMass was a huge threat from three, the way they shot the ball yesterday against St. Joe's, and they made sure that they were going to intimidate them. You saw Mm -hmm. Jordan Goodwin just chasing Noah Fernandes all over the place. And while that high intensity kind of died down as the game went on, UMass was bothered by it. You saw a lot of times they would catch the ball and just chuck it up as quickly as they could. Yeah, the physicality. I mean, uh, the Billikens kind of did to to UMass in this game what I think Dayton did to the Billikens in that first game off the pause in St. Louis. Really just running big man after big man at uh, and, you know, physical player after physical player, uh, you know, against – uh, Mitchell, Fernandes, uh, Pierre, just really trying to knock him off the game. Whereas Dayton in that first game, 
sent every big man they had at French because they knew that Bell and Lunson weren't really uh, producers at that point. So, um, yeah, the Billikens kind of took a page out of your boy's book, uh, Anthony Grant. <laughs> Thankfully, we don't have to talk about Anthony Grant during this uh, recap, but I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned throwing the guys at French because UMass tried the same thing today. Mm-hmm. San French gets the ball and they blitzed him hard and he had uh, maybe the best passing game of his life. He only ended up with four assists felt like it actually should have been more, but he was finding, especially Lindsay and Collins open for a lot of layups. Yeah, it was outstanding. Uh, clearly um, Travis and, and, and company uh, prepared Hassan for that probability and basically said, look, uh, we're going to need you to, to defer for, at least the first half of his ball game. And um, after a while, he was starting to get 1v1s in the paint and took advantage. Yeah, and he ended up with uh, eight points on four of eight shooting. Really made his, really made his impact on the defensive end. And Trey Mitchell ended up with 30. I guess that kind of feels like an, a, a poor game from the Billikens' big men if you're just looking at the box score, then how do you feel about Travis Ford's strategy for trying to shut down the UMass big guy? Uh, you know, I, I thought Mitchell just really came to play tonight. Um, I got to give full credit to him. I mean, eight for eight from the line, um, you know, drew fouls really well, two or three from three. He made his shots when he had them and, and um, got his. Good for him, man. He's a hell of a player. He was awesome, and honestly, too, he started to realize that St. Louis's big guys were willing to give him space. I think that's how he ended up with the two made threes. He was basically – I think it was available times. Yeah. The UMass – of all the UMass shooters, he was the only guy who was getting an opportunity from the three-point line. Yeah, I I thought the Billikens really did a good good job at at not allowing their guards – uh, any space and, and not allowing them to, um, you know, they made everything difficult for him once they crossed half court. And that was, that was the difference I thought between this, the Billikens approach and uh, St. Joe's approach, obviously one team actually plays defense and the other doesn't. Yeah. So. And the way I saw it too, is after SLU opened up that really quick lead, I think they were up 10 before the first media timeout. Basically, it seemed like they were willing to just let Trey Mitchell get whatever he wanted. They had Travis Ford trusted his big guys to be able to stop him enough to know that he wasn't going to be able to dominate the game. And at that point, they weren't going to risk sending double teams and leaving the shooters open, knowing that since UMass couldn't stop them, they were going to need to make threes throughout the second half, and Mitchell's twos just weren't going to get it done. Yeah, absolutely. Travis Ford um... – it's not going to make the UMass faithful happy, but he uh, he thoroughly outcoached uh, one of his his, his uh, you know successors, I guess, and uh, it, it, I I I think he just totally dominated McCall tonight. It felt like a day where kind of all four winning coaches had dominant victories over their bench uh, their bench peers throughout the day. I'd certainly give Ford credit for that. I'd, I'd say the two big MVPs were Ford and, were Ford and McKillop. Yeah, the A-10, uh, well, UMass fans love to hate on Ford, but A-10, man, I saw that A-10 talk uh, uh, question on Twitter. It was who, who's on upset watch. Man, the Billikens would be on upset watch with A-10 Twitter if they were the number one overall seed going into the first round of the NCAA tournament. Like, no matter what, A-10 is going to – a10 Twitter is going to just hate on the Bills, baby. I think I'm – I'm sure I'm missing one outside of uh, you and the guys over at West Pine. I think I might be the only other person who picked them to actually win this tournament. Uh, I did, I don't fill out a bracket because I, I just don't. Like, I don't – when it involves the Billikens, I don't. It's just – it's not good on my psyche. I don't – because I'm going to – I have to pick the Billikens. I have to. Um, and I don't want to look like I don't know what I'm talking about. So, uh, yeah, I usually uh, defer that to to everyone else. Even NCAA, like whenever they've been in it, uh, 19, I didn't, I didn't fill out an NCAA bracket. 
not a bad idea, but uh, you know, before we before we move forward in the bracket, um, we focused so much on St. Louis's defense. It's not like the offense was bad in this game. Eighty six points. In fact, it was pretty damn great. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, I tweeted out earlier, St. Louis took five threes in the first eight minutes and then took six over the final 32, going three for six. I thought this was really kind of just getting back to the base of Billiken ball. Yuri Collins was being left wide open. Fred Thatch mm-hmm. was being left wide open. And they obliged and took some threes in the first three minutes. And then they realized, wait, these guys aren't following us. We can just cut for layups. And UMass just never, ever had the answer for that. No, I thought I thought the biggest thing the Billikens did really well was get to the line, um, just absolutely attacking the basket, attacking uh, the big men inside. Uh, Perkins gets thirteen free throws, Collins gets seven, and the Billikens shoot uh, a beautiful eighty-one point five percent. Obviously, I think you can really look to um, to Hassan and Jimmy not shooting any free throws. Uh, to kind of see why they one. shot. Hey, Goodwin's free throw shooting has come a long way uh, this year. He's been absolutely fantastic, comparatively speaking. I mean, every jump shot Jordan Goodwin took in that game looked beautiful. He was he was getting the foul line jumper yeah. going for a while, kind of doing his best Javante Perkins impression. And I know Perkins found his way into two mid-ranges midway through the second half, but it was really, they really kind of swapped roles today. Goodwin was the one taking the long jumpers. Perkins was the one just relentlessly attacking the rim and they both worked. So I don't think you can complain about it at all. Yeah. It was something you don't see a whole lot of from Perkins. Uh, He will attack. um, But I think they must've seen something that said, you know, uh, a, you're our best free throw shooter and B, um, you've got this guy on you, and you you can just take him every time, and he's always going to do his volume. So the, the announcers kept saying during this game, man, if, if UMass can just get a stop or two, they're, they're going to be right back in it. So as a worried Billikens fan, was there any moment where you felt like UMass was actually going to get those back-to-back stops? Because I can honestly say I never thought it was coming. St. Louis you know, just I, had their number on that end. Yeah, you know, I felt I felt less comfortable than I did in the arena at Chaffetz um, in the previous game. Uh, that game, I've kind of just always felt like every because t- it got to it got closer in that game than it did in this game. Uh, I think it got to four or at some point too, uh, and it just felt like the Billikens were keeping them at arm's length in this game. Um, you know, I, I didn't really get to pay attention super close. I had to work a little bit. So it was a little more nervy that I was, like, focusing on work and the game. So um, in that way, I think I think I was a little more nervous uh, that they might uh, start getting stops or we might cool off a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, personally, I, I thought that the SLU was just ready to respond every time. And we saw when UMass cut into the lead early in the second half, then they just started riding Goodwin. He had he had a few back-to-back great possessions. And then late in the game when the same thing happened, they just started riding Javante Perkins. So they, they really just had answers from all over the court throughout this game. Yeah, I, I, this this really felt good. Uh, I, I, I told you, uh, I, I messaged you before I got on, uh, that, and I'll bring it up, I'll go ahead and bring it up, is that uh, – uh, Mitchell's comments, man, uh, after their win over St. Joe's, he really opened his mouth. And I think he really did his team a disservice. Uh, He got on the mic uh, with uh, the NBC Sports crew and basically kind of chalked up their game at St. Louis to to St. Louis being pumped up on senior night and uh, really didn't give them a whole lot of credit. And I think – I, I know I, uh, I received a text from uh, someone close to the program uh, asking me if I recorded the game and had Mitchell's uh, post-game comments. So I think, uh, I think word might have gotten around to the, to the Billikens and, and maybe got posted on the, on the uh, proverbial bulletin board. I mean, it certainly looked like it. They were going at, they were going at Mitchell with a fury and with a vengeance today. Um, yeah, it, it was beautiful. I, I, 
And, you know, I, it, it was, be, I, it was nice. It, I, I just, I'm just glad to escape that one with a win because that's one of those you have to win if you, if you're thinking you're going to be in the NCAA tournament. And I mean, I mean, I, th I still think we might be on the outside looking in, but um, you know, at least it's now a coin flip. Yeah. And honestly, if you kind of just glance around the brackets and uh, especially the bracketologists who continue to say, well, the committee's not going to take the ramifications of the COVID pause into account. I think a lot of them would say that St. Louis is probably going to have to win tomorrow too. Mm -hmm. We'll go into that in a second, but my last count comment on this game, Gibson Jimerson played two minutes. Demarius Jacobs played none. St. Louis and Travis Ford just said, screw the three ball. We don't care today. They got to 86 points anyway. I'm not sure that's a question. I'm not even sure that's a comment that needs to be responded to. It just felt like it needed to be pointed out. No, yeah. I, I think uh, there's a sect of uh, Billiken fans that are kind of wondering what happened. Uh, you know, I think over the past three games, uh, Travis is realizing that maybe bully ball is the way to win in the A-10 uh, in general. Um, and maybe, may, well, I, I should, oh, let me rephrase that. Bully ball is the first, um, the first plan of attack, we'll say. And then uh, if that does not work, then you move to the threes. Um, so I think, I think Jimerson has dealt with a little confidence issue. Uh, I think bad matchups and maybe a change in, in, in attack as far as uh, bully ball versus finesse. So, uh, and I, Demarius Jacobs might be hurt. Uh, there's been rumblings that he might be hurt. Uh, I don't know for sure. I haven't heard anything definite, but uh, to get no minutes in the last like two games is, is a little weird. So uh, there's got to be something there outside of coach's decision because this is a kind of game that, Demarius would be key in on defense. But with the emergence of Fred Thatch, who can shoot the three and play better defense than Jimerson and, and a little bit better defense than Demarius, um, maybe you don't need him right now. So, Yeah, and I really kind of thought at halftime of that game, like, wow, I'm, I'm not sure Gibson Jimerson's getting back in in the second half. Just it never felt like the proper game for him. The offense was so good without the spacing anyway. And obviously you have Gim you've Jimerson out there for that side of the ball. Didn't really want to mix up uh, how great the defense was playing. Yeah, he, he's not necessarily known for his defense. He came on at one point uh, during the season and, and started playing really well defensively or at least putting in a ton of effort. Um, but – yeah, I, I just don't – I don't know what to make of it right now. We'll see what happens here in the Bonaventure game. I um, think maybe three-point shooting might be a little bit more of a, a, you know, something to focus on, but who knows? I'm not uh, – I'm not a great basketball mind, so. So, as you mentioned, we now head into the semifinals. 6 p.m., I think this has got to be the latest uh, semifinal game I can remember. St. Louis will take on the top seed St. Bonaventure. Of course, these two met a uh, little over a month ago with the Billikens winning 70-59 at Chaffetz, a nice little Saturday afternoon game. What are your initial thoughts going into this one? Well, first of all, I want to pay a little tribute to my listener base and, and tell you that it's actually 5 p.m. Central time. Uh, but... Uh, now, well, six Eastern, you get what I'm saying. Uh, but uh, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm always anxious. I'm always nervous. Um, the Billikens play like they did today and put forth the kind of effort and the kind of, um, you know, kind of being on their game. I think they could beat anybody in this league. And, and I think that game today beats Bonaventure. So hopefully they carry over the momentum. Yeah. I, I mean, simply put, this team is still the most talented in the league. Uh, I personally think that them and Bonaventure are the top two with VCU being a slightly behind third, but this is really the clash of the Titans for me. And I think one of the big things we got to remember too, is St. Louis is still playing for their season. I think yeah. Bonaventure probably understands that they secured their spot in the tournament today. And I don't I'm, think they're going to give, I don't, uh, I can't see a competitive group like that. 
you know, putting any stock in the idea that they're in the tournament. Nobody's nobody's secure in anything in this freaking league. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'm not sure it matters anyway. When Mark Schmidt's your coach, I don't think you really take your foot off the pedal anyway. Right. But you can never discount the potential desperation factor that if St. Louis falls behind by 12 early on in this game, they realize that if they don't turn it up, they are done and they are going home after afterwards. Yeah. I, I, the way the Billikens have started lately, I, I, if they're going to win this game, they're going to come out and they're going to, they're going to win it. Um, they're going to win it. They say you can't win a game in the first five minutes or you, you know, but you can certainly lose it. I think you can, I think the Billikens have been winning games in the first five minutes and that, they get out front and then they defend and bully ball. You know, it's it's kind of like the the a half prevent defense sort of thing they've been they've been working with. And that's kind of how this last game went. St. Louis got just enough buckets early on. Bonaventure's offense was just absolutely smothered the first like eight to twelve minutes of that game. Never mm-hmm. got the three point ball going at all. I. I kind of forgot they hit a few in garbage time, ended up at a respectable 32%. But that whole first half, I I vividly, vividly remember this game. Jordan Goodwin was honestly destroying Jaron Holmes in a way that Holmes has not been shut down in any other game this year. And Bonaventure just could not get the three ball to fall. And so all of a sudden they're forced to play really kind of their special brand of in the paint basketball which works great basically against everyone except St. Louis. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, it'll be interesting to see how the Billikens uh, do in this game or what, what kind of attack they bring offensively. Um, You know, Perkins had 21 in this game uh, in in the first game. Uh, Jacobs had 11. Um, Jimerson had it. The the points were spread around. So I think you see a little bit more of the bench in this one. Uh, Linson got 19 minutes. This was Linson's coming out party, I think, uh, as well. So um, he he was my sixth man of the year. Uh, I'm a little I'm a little shook that I was the only one that voted for him. Yeah, Thatch was mine. Um, Linson, it was between Thatch, Linson, and Jameer Watkins. So I had those. He was one of my three finalists. But I, I feel like the Billikens have had so many different guys come off the bench and be that sixth man that it was almost impossible to win it. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, honestly, I think I think Watkins will probably end up winning the real conference award just because of that. But uh, with this game, one of the big things for me, you mentioned Javante Perkins having 21. And that was against a guy who is probably one of the best suited in the conference to guard him and Jalen Attaway. And I, I, I assume St. Louis is probably going to start Jimmy Bell again, given that they've had so much great success doing that this week. That poses a a very, very interesting dilemma for the Bonnies on defense. They'll almost certainly have to put Attaway on him. And then all of a sudden you're left with a a lot of smaller guards as options to guard Perkins. And as we know, that's not the way you guard Javante Perkins. You need someone who is quick and strong and can really kind of challenge him off the dribble. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I wonder if uh, they'll get – I know, uh, you know – Mark Schmidt obviously only run he runs Shaw, but you know he ran Shaw three minutes in the last meeting. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what what the Bonnies do. Uh, they don't really have a bench, and I think that's where the Billikens really uh, have the advantage in this one. I mean, shit, Jaron Holmes only Jaron Holmes was the the had the shortest run at twenty six minutes last game. So yeah, and that was only because oh, he was in exciting. foul trouble, or he probably would have, yeah. or the bench probably would have played even less. That's that's crazy. That's a crazy amount of minutes to play your starters. I, I mean, I know uh, I know SB unfurled and friends jokes about it all the time. That like Mark Schmidt hates to use his bench, but man, like it, it's going to be interesting to see how whether or not the depth of St. Louis can once again come through and uh, put them over the top into the finals. I wish this was the final, man. I really do. Honestly, I do too. Like I said, like I said earlier, I think these are the two most talented teams in the league. But before we before we wrap this up, I think we got to spend thirty seconds to really go deep into the kind of crazy timing of these games. Maybe even more important than the idea of this being the final, 
wouldn't it be great if this was the late game? St. Louis Twitter, St. Bonaventure Twitter in a once-in-a-lifetime late-night Saturday showdown. Um, as much as I like the Davidson fans, they're very passive on Twitter. I don't yeah. think we're going to get any great 10 p.m. entertainment out of them, but two of what probably the four best uh, loudmouth Twitter fan bases up against each other, that could have been a riot. Yeah. I know. I, I mean, I'm sure there will be Billiken fans that will be day drinking ahead of this one, and I know there will be Bonaventure fans day drinking ahead of this one. Um, it's all love, as I said to uh, Curry Hicks Sage uh, today on Twitter. Uh, I, I'm excited. Uh, I love the Twitter banter. Uh, I don't – the only really Bonav- – I see only maybe two or three Bonaventure fans um, – I get too emotional. I don't like seeing people talk shit on the Billikens. So I try to avoid uh, confrontation at all costs. I did, I Mostly admit, out of respect for my uh, new co-host, Peter. <laughs> I, I, I did consider uh, trying to get a Bonaventure guy on right after you. Maybe just let you guys collide for about a minute or two, argue about this game. But, you know, there just wasn't, there just wasn't that much to talk about from Bonaventure Duquesne today. But yeah, I was. I, I think I told you I uh, I was considering canceling if the Billikens lost on you because you asked me like yesterday if I'd come on and I was like, oh well, I don't know if they like. Yeah, I guess I'll come on, but then if if we lose, I'm out. There's no way I want to sit and talk about the game. Yeah, it, it would have been a worse pot if they had lost. I was I was confident in the victory today, but I know you don't. I know you don't like to put together a bracket, but are you willing to give us a prediction on this game? Uh, 70-59 Billikens. Wow. Uh, so the exact same that's, as last yeah, time. Yeah, Um That's just because I'm staring at it and I just I don't – I don't like to get uh, – I don't like to predict. Huh? To uh, me, yeah. I, I think the, I think the second day of the back-to-back is going to be really tough on Bonaventure. Yeah. Ford, Ford will ride his bench. I think he's going to try to mm-hmm. be physical with them immediately on um, – I think it'll be interesting to see how the officials low scoring. Yeah, I think the officials call and this will be interesting. Yeah, I'm that'll, t- that'll be the. It will actually it'll be interesting for a lot of reasons because a, if they call it tight, on both ends, Bonaventure is going to fall out. That probably uh, yeah that helps slew. Yeah, and if they call it loose on both ends, the Billigans are going to try to just physically impose themselves on on all the starters and I'll wear them down. And I think, again, the Billikens will probably pull away at some point with under eight minutes to go. And, and that'll be the end of it. Yeah. I mean, this is, this team is really the only bad matchup for Bonaventure in my mind. And mm-hmm. I, I think Perkins, I think Perkins and Goodwin are going to do great things on the defensive end and Bonaventure is going to struggle to match up with Perkins. They'll keep it yeah. close all game. I'm going to go with a slogged out low scoring 61-55 Billikens win. I like it. I'll take a Billiken win no matter how I can get it. Um, I, I had something on. I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, no, I just I, – I, I'm excited for it. I, I'm excited to day drink this one, watch, watch a little slew women's soccer, the best women's soccer team in the A-10, and uh, then uh, – then move on to the men's team, maybe hit a Mexican joint for uh, some chips and salsa and some margs and then watch the game. But uh, it'll be fun. I'm, I'm excited to talk a little Twitter trash tomorrow. And um, it's been, Oh, I was going to say the A tennis, you mentioned matchups, man. Like I've said, this conference is way more than any conference in the country is a matchup conference. Like the MVC, everybody plays kind of a similar style. The big, big 10, even, you know, MVC for mid-majors, similar style. Big, big 10, physical big basketball, league. you know, they play a certain brand. Big East plays a certain brand. The A-10 doesn't have a brand of basketball. Every team plays a different way. You know, the Billikens like to play bully ball. Uh, Davidson plays finesse. Uh, you know, BCU's uh, BCU. Yeah, the yeah, I found a picture actually today. It was uh, back from the uh, 2013 season. Uh, a buddy of mine's little brother uh, had a had a sign at the game at SLU, uh, the VCU SLU game at Chaffetz. It said, uh, "Our defense has a name. It's called defense." 
uh, shout out Jeremy, by the way. Um, but yeah, everybody, it's a different, it's such a matchup conference. And that's why you get the cannibalization, I think, of this conference, which I think is bullshit anyway, because really, it's just good teams playing each other and people don't get it. Like the national media doesn't see it. I don't think it's no different than what's happening in the big 10, but in the big 10, you still get respect when you go nine and nine. Because you can play uh, big time teams in the non-conference. Yeah. And in the American, it doesn't happen because the bottom half of the American is way worse than everybody realizes it is, which is a hill that I will die on. I've said the uh, the SEC is just the A10 with sexy co-eds in football, <laughs> and and John Calipari. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, that I mean, Kentucky's terrible, so you know. Hey, you know the hey trivia question by the way before before I head out. Uh, well, not a trivia question, fun fact, I guess. Did you know SLU has a winning record over Kentucky? Did not know that. Yep. Yeah, it's a, I think it's like 10 and 8 or something like that. But, yeah, fun fact for your listeners out there. And I'll see myself out. <laughs> Real quick before you go, I got to ask you one last sure. question here. Yep. After making it to the semifinals, does SLU deserve to move up in the Mayhem rankings from their spot of below 353rd in the country? It would be an insult to the Billikens to move them up in the Mayhem rankings. All right, we will end it on I am, that. It, Hopefully it is, Ryan Paleo is listening. It's a badge of honor to be last in the Mayhem rankings because uh, it is just a farce. I just wanted to get your, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. The, the St. Louis fans get fired up about the Mayhem rankings sometimes. But Zach Miller, where can, where can people find you if they aren't already following you? Um, Find the podcast at Midtown Mad Pod. Uh, find me at Zach Miller MMP, and then find uh, my co-host definitely Peter Peter Hale. He's unbelievable. I'm I could not be happier that uh, he decided to join me in this new venture. Um, I want to make sure he gets all the credit he deserves because he's the one that's been killing it on Twitter for us. Uh, find him at Peter is a tweeter, uh, which is freaking hysterical i love that name but uh he's he's awesome he's super cool and and super uh super smart when it comes to basketball i bring the personality he brings he's the straight man who brings the knowledge so um no he's been great and i'm, I'm excited about the the direction of the pod and you can find us on all uh all podcasts midtown madness podcast uh you can find us on youtube apple all that stuff so we do a video version as well so check that out it's fun Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, A little bit more advanced than what we're doing over here, but thank you for joining us. Yeah, you know, it's fine. It's it's actually easier to edit (laughs) when you do video than audio because you don't have to like clap and whatnot to to tell you when to break. But hey, thank you for having me. I'll let let your listeners not have to listen to me anymore. Yeah, well, it was a a great interview. Thank you. I want to take a moment to talk about Purple Stride Pittsburgh which this year will be a virtual nationwide event. Pancreatic cancer is the world's toughest cancer with a five-year survival rate of just 10%. Pancreatic Cancer Action Network is determined to improve patient outcomes, but they need your support now more than ever. That's why Purple Stride Pittsburgh is going virtual this year. Join PanCan on April 17th and turn your neighborhood purple to help raise awareness and vital funds for pancreatic cancer. Learn more and register for free today at purplestride.org backslash Pittsburgh. That's purplestride.org backslash Pittsburgh. All right, so now to talk about the VCU Dayton game, I am joined by Wayne Epps Jr., the terrific VCU beat writer for the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Wayne, how are you doing tonight? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing great myself. We appreciate you joining me. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate you having me. Glad to be on. So for anyone who doesn't know much about you or about how you ended up at the Times-Dispatch, you know, we got a lot of listeners outside of the Richmond area. How did you kind of find your way into this job and ending up on the VCU beat? Yeah, so uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm from outside of Richmond, about um, half an hour south in a place called uh, Prince George County. And so um, you know, um, after school, I graduated in 2016. 
Uh, I had a postgrad internship and I came back home for a while while I was, you know, searching for a full-time um, gig. And so, um, you know, just at, at home for a few months and, um, you know, ended up, uh, I have a friend at the time dispatch who I went to school with at JMU, um, Dylan Garner, who um, has covered some high school sports um, really well for the time dispatch in the past. Um, and, and now is a, a, a copy editor and designer full-time now there. And um, they had an opening on their um part-time sports desk there. Uh, in the past, they've kind of cut it down since, but in the past, at the time, they had four um, part-time, what they call sports producers, who help out covering high school sports and, you know, taking the scores in the evenings, putting together box scores and things like that for the paper. And so, um, you know, I was, like I said, I was still looking for a job and it was an opportunity. And so I ended up taking that and um, was covering some high school sports and helping on the desk, um, you know, for several months. And that, that summer, this was 2017, um, the, the VCB happened to open up, um, you know, a Tim Farrell was, was on it for a while and did a really great job. And he kind of shifted over to a different role where now he's um, covering more high school sports now. But um, and so that, that job opened up. And so, um, you know, I applied and um, I ended up kind of getting, I guess, the um, inside promotion to, to get to go full time um, with, with that. So that was September 2017 and, um, and, and been on been on it since. So uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's kind of funny. I guess that, that was, um, you know, Mike Rose's first year, too. So I uh, got a chance to cover him, you know, his, his uh, entire uh, time back at VCU as head coach now, um, you know, after coming in from Rice. And, you know, of course, Bruce was an assistant at VCU and a shocker smart. So uh, it's been fun to kind of, uh, our years have kind of matched, I guess. And he's, he's a really good uh, coach to work with, and, you know, my job as well. He's always, he's super accessible and that makes my job a lot easier. And um, so, so I'm enjoying it. It's fun, you know, being close to home and, um, you know, kind of growing up, you know, seeing VCU and watching VCU, it's fun to get a chance to, to cover them now. So given that you're from the area, had you always hoped to cover one of the local teams? Uh, to be honest, not, necess not necessarily, you know, uh, just was kind of whatever, whatever I could get. I always, um, I would just say I wanted to cover, you know, college or, or pro sports if I could at some capacity. It didn't have to be in, in state, but um, getting a chance to stay close to home, um, you know, and cover, cover VCU has been, been great. So that worked out, worked out really well. So I'm glad I, I'm glad it worked out that way. And, and um, you know, I, I think what I realized, you know, it's, it's nice being home just because I had a familiar, familiarity with the teams in, in the area, um, you know, even going back to when I was doing high school stuff um, beforehand, just like knowing the different schools in the area, knowing just having that knowledge base of schools in the state. And like now, you know, in a typical year in the fall, I would cover Jamie football as well, uh, my alma mater. Um, but because uh, the FCS season was pushed back to the spring, um, that's kind of an overlap with VC basketball a little bit. So I'm trying to do as much as I can with them and we'll do more after the VC basketball season. But um, I, I typically cover them as, as well, which is nice because again, I have that, that background with them as well. So it's nice, it's nice being, being in, in Virginia, my home state and close to home uh, and it's covering teams that I know. So uh, even though that wasn't necessarily my aim, I'm glad it worked out that way. So you've been at this for a few years now. And like you said, you've, you've only had one VCU head coach to talk to since you came along around the same time as Mike Rhodes. But there's been a lot of good players and a lot of honestly seemingly fun players on the VCU team over these last few years. Is there anyone in particular that you've really enjoyed talking to? Um, I, I'll say uh, Darianti Jenkins was, was always a really good, really good interview. Um, talking to him, like um, you know, there's, there's been like I said, been a lot of a lot of guys, but that was, that was one that I just felt like um, he always was a. a you know, brought you in depth and, and things like that. And it just was always a, a good conversation. It was more of a conversation that, with him, you know, a lot of times talking to him. So that was, that was, that was a guy I uh, enjoyed, you know, getting to talk with him, um, you know, the, the, the couple of years I did when, when, when he was with VCU. So um, no, that, was, that was probably my favorite so far on the beat. And, you know, now in my fourth season, um, who else? Um, um, yeah, hmm. I was, none, none of the guys have been bad. Um, I said Marcus Evans will um, will be candid sometimes too, um, you know, with, with some of the things like um, like he was going through a lot last season. Um, you know, of course, BC was picked picked to win the league last year, and uh, they had a bunch of injuries and illness and a bunch of things happen. You know, towards the end of last season, and um, ended up talking to Marcus one time in January, um, and just he just kind of went through basically a laundry list of stuff he had gone through from injuries. He had like a stomach bug, all kinds of stuff he was going through, and kind of opened up about that. Um, and I enjoy, you know, I got a chance last last year. I tried to because they had five seniors last year, which is kind of 
you know, rare to have senior classes quite that big, and especially guys who have made that much of an impact on the program. Each of those five guys, uh, I try to do like a, a series of features on each of those five guys. So it was nice to kind of sit down with each of those guys, Zariante and Marcus included, um, to kind of dive deeper into their backstories and stuff like that. So I enjoyed getting to do that. And they were all great with that. You know, as, as far as, um, you know, again, Marcus, um, you know, uh, uh, Dariante, Malik Crowfield, Mikel Sims, and Isaac Van. Uh, so th those guys were great as well. So, but again, if I had to go back, I would say Darionte would be my, 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 my favorite over the years. I got to say, if I was thinking about personality on the court, Darionte Jenkins might have been one of the last guys I, I had guessed. <laughs> Such a honestly subdued player, a guy who did so much great thankless work, didn't mm -hmm. put up the big numbers to really capture what he was doing on the floor. So clearly, yeah. it, clearly a much better personality than uh, he was as an outward player. Yeah. That's well, I'll say, I guess if I had to go just um, maybe fun to watch before Bones, Bones it's fun to, to see him just, uh, you know, sink those threes. It's like he'll shoot from ridiculous range and make it, which is crazy, crazy to watch in person sometimes. But um, before that, I would say um, Justin Tillman, uh, watching him, he was he was a, very exciting just, just with his blocking ability. And then he, he started shooting threes a senior year too, um, but he was always a, a force inside. So he, he was a fun player to watch too. That was all I wanted. I just wanted to just have Tillman reference. Yeah. By, by far my favorite VCU player to have ever watched. Although if Hassan Ward continues to send shots into the seventh row, he will, he will begin to challenge him in future years. But, sure. you know, you mentioned the magic name, and that's Bones Highland. Comes back tonight. So VCU, went, VCU defeats Dayton 73-68 in what was technically – a neutral site game in terms of the schedule, but on the Siegel Center home floor. And I think the story just begins and ends with Bones. 30 points, 10 rebounds, and three assists coming off of a, a gruesome injury that caused him to miss the last two games of the regular season. Personally, I went into that game from a VCU perspective just hoping that he had showed that he was 90% or better healthy. I absolutely did not expect this. As someone who's around the team, was there an expectation not only that he'd be able to come back to normal, but that he would be able to be superstar Bones Highland immediately like this? Yes, yeah, it's, it's hard to say that. You just never know. And, uh, you know, I think there's a little bit of caution, too, or just, you know, wonder because, you know, we thought he was going to play on Saturday at Davidson um, because, um, you know, Mike Orr said at the time, you know, back at the same, after the St. Louis game last Tuesday that he thought Bones would be ready to go on, on that Saturday. But then um, it turned out he didn't play Saturday. He said after that game that, um, you know, he still was experiencing some pain. So I think the wonder was like, okay, maybe did he have any setbacks? Like, what, what's what's the deal? Like, how, how good is he uh, going to go even if he, if he plays and, um, you know, got an update, you know, Thursday morning that, um, you know, two other guys who, who had left the game against Davidson, um, you know, Vince Williams had a, a, an ankle sprain and Mikel Brown-Jones had hurt his hand from dislocating his finger earlier in the week. Uh, and Rhodes said that, you know, both those guys would play, but Bones was still day-to-day. -day, so still a little bit of a question mark until Bones hit the hit the floor for warm-up before um, Friday's game that he was going to play. But still, like I said, you don't know what his percentage is. And then he comes out and, as Rhodes said, after the game tonight, you know, he was kind of shot out of a cannon. Like, he had a couple early baskets and that kind of got him going. And then, you know, all of a sudden, up and he has 22 <laughs> and he hit, hit the crazy shot um right at the end of the half before the um the buzzer where he was um you know falling out of bounds and, and launches like a fadeaway jumper um right before the buzzer um for that, that 20 second point so that, it was it was a crazy first half um and you, you know he's close yeah you know, I thought he was gonna like shatter his career record his career record is 31 and having 22 at the half I was like okay this could be a, a crazy night but then he ended up being it had a quiet start to the second half um, he left. He left the game with about um, a little over 11 minutes to go. Uh, it turned out he was cramping. He was getting looked at on the bench, that, that right leg. So I think it was a little bit of wonder. Like, did he re did he reaggravate that that foot sprain? But it ended up just being cramps. And he talked about afterwards. You know, he still had to get his wind up because he hadn't done a, a ton of basketball activity leading up to the game, just working his way back from the injury. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's impressive. And, you know, my growth said, he, you know, talking to Bones this week, like Wednesday, they had him do more activity. He said he felt good after that. And he said he felt good and shoot around, you know, on Friday too before the game. And, and so I think, I think other than maybe the conditioning, I think he was in a good spot health wise um, and, and it showed in his play. <laughs> was there anything in particular that kind of stood out to you and impressed you in his performance today? 
Uh, I think just that he was back to, um, you know, that crazy range was shooting the threes, you know, in the first half because, you know, you, you know, people always talk, always talk about, you know, the range of the threes comes from the legs, comes from the lower body. And with a foot injury, you know, wonder if there's any pain there, does that affect his shot? But he was sinking them like like usual. And also, I would say, too, just um, how he finished through contact, like his first basket kind of came in the lane as well. And um, then his second basket uh, came on a fast break or he was like sprinting down the court and it was like, okay, he must feel pretty good. <laughs> like it, it, it didn't show really any ill, Ill effects. So um, I was, I would say, uh, you know, his three point shooting being back to form, um, especially after missing two games in game time, like it didn't take him any time to get back into game rhythm with that shot. And that was a good sign for ECU. Yeah. I mean, to me, it was just the fact that the burst and the aggression were there in the way that they always are. He had an all conference defender and Rodney Chapman on him. And yet, any time Chapman just gave him an inch of breathing room, he took off. And I know he got a lot of his layups in transition, but the one play that really stands out to me, late in the first quarter, he, ha he hits that super deep three from basically what is only Bones Highland and Jalen Crutcher range in this conference. Because Chapman just gave him an inch of space and he lunged at him and it did not matter. It was about as pure as it gets. Yeah, and that's that's uh that's I guess you could say that's bonus for you. Like he'll he'll do it, he'll do it with uh you know an attitude you know in a, in a good way though I guess you could say like with the competitiveness. Like he got he got a warning uh, at one point in the game for uh, he had a shot in front of the Dayton bench and kind of was looking at them and maybe barking them uh, them a little bit. So so that's but that's that's the way he plays. He plays with that uh that um you know that passion. So so that's just the way he is. <laughs> Yeah, I think the refs even warned him about that. As you, uh, as you mentioned, I can still see that play in my mind. But, you know, I th to me, it seems like that's just part of the Bones Highland package. And you saw it even in the games he was out. He is on the bench just screaming the whole time. And to me, just watching from my TV screen, he seems like one of the absolute best teammates that a guy could ask for. Oh yeah, yeah. I, th I think he's the unquestioned um, motor for this team. Like he never seems to get tired. Like he's been playing um, more minutes, you know, in this recent stretch because you know they they lost on um, their backup point guard, uh, Trey Clark, in early February. Um, and so you know, um, both both uh, Ace and Bones have been playing you know more minutes because you know Bones, even though he's moved off the ball this year, he's his natural position is point guard. You know, in the past he started a point or he was a point guard last year. Uh, he's moved to more of that two guard spot this year, but he can still fill in that point guard. And so uh, he's been playing playing more minutes, um, but he never, like I said, never seems to get tired. Even tonight, when after having, having not having played two games, not really being in full game shape, he played with 37 minutes and, <laughs> and still played the way he did. So. Um, so yeah, he, he, like I said, even if he's not in the game, he's always supporting on the bench. And it was funny. There was there was one clip I remember from the, um, the St. Louis game that he sat out. Uh, he had um, gotten up and was like pirouetting on the on the sideline <laughs> after one of his one of his teammates hit a shot. And like uh, you could see one of their assistant coaches, Brent Scott, like reach over and like say like Calm down, like don't don't act too crazy. <laughs> he was like sitting back down because <laughs> I think they, they, I guess they didn't want him to uh, do too much on that foot. But he was moving around pretty well. And that was another reason why everyone thought he was going to play on Saturday too. Um, but uh, I guess he just couldn't help himself with it, with it supporting his teammates. So, Yeah, I, I remember that exact play. I remember him hopping up and down on the bench and really just kind of run it, the same thing run through my mind. Like, yeah, so is, is his leg okay? I <laughs> got, almost got a little bit, bit worried. But, you know, he was, he was the unquestioned star of this game. To me, kind of the secondary MVP was Hassan Ward. Didn't have a fantastic box, box score game, but, you know, Hassan Ward rarely does. 10 points, five rebounds, three blocks. But to me, I, I just felt like you couldn't measure the impact he had with the timely plays. He was the guy who was throwing down the thunderous dunks to break the press. I remember specifically one just monumental block when Dayton had cut the lead to six and was really charging. What'd you think about his performance tonight? Yeah, just indicative of, I think, the growth he's shown all, you know, all year, like, um, you know, it's just hard, hard to, uh, I guess, um, quantify like just his impact inside, even when he's not coming with blocks. Like you mentioned, he had the three blocks tonight, but still his length inside, it just, it's just a, a you know, problem for anybody trying to drive the ball in with his seven four wingspan, um, with his, his vertical leap. Um, you know, he, he just, uh, you know, such a, a big presence style, you know, on the defensive end. And I think he's continuing to get better uh, offensively. Like that's, that's been a thing I think, you know, we've seen since his freshman year, his ability to, to throw the ball down a dunk. You know, the, the guards love throwing alley-oops to him, um, you know, in, in transition and things like that. But I think working on his, you know, kind of offensive game inside, I think that's continued to progress too. 
Um, but again, I think probably you could say maybe his biggest impact is just that defensive end, just that length inside, but also him being a mobile defender too and be able to step out and defend on the perimeter, um, you know, hedge screens and things like that. Like uh, just a, such a versatile guy at, at his size. So um, he's been, he's been uh, invaluable and um, he's continuing to get better. And one thing, you know, Mike Rose always mentions, you know, is, is the fact that him, you know, he's originally from Barbados. He moved to um, Massachusetts, uh, you know, sophomore year of high school uh, with family members. And that was, that was his first year of playing organized basketball sophomore year of high school. So he's really fairly young in, in the game of basketball compared to you know, a lot of guys who've been playing since they're like seven, eight years old or even younger. So uh, he's still he's still learning a lot. Uh, and so the fact that he's made this growth this year, I think is big. And, you know, he's still got two or maybe three years left. <laughs> maybe depends, you know, decides to use that extra year. So uh, could have a big, a big, big things ahead as an upperclassman. Yeah, and he did a great job of neutralizing all of Dayton's young power forwards who tend to be X factors in big games like this. But speaking of X factors, was there – any other player, really just kind of anything from the team in general that really stood out to you as being a key to this win? I would say um, Jameer Watkins, um, he's a guy, you know, he, he had started when, when Bones was out. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a player who's come along, uh, you know, you could, you could say he's a candidate for 18, you know, six man of the year this year. He's really come along, especially in, in A-10 play. And like I say, he was pushing to a starting role when, when Bones was out. Um, just a very athletic wing. Uh, he threw down a pretty thunderous dunk <laughs> at one point. Um, and then, you know, after ha you know, having some struggles in the, in, the, in the first half, he really came on in the second half and ended up finishing with seven points, three or four shooting from the field. Um, two steals, so uh, he does he does a little bit of everything, um, and I think particularly with with uh, Vince Williams uh, leaving, which uh, he had a, uh, some back spasms when he took a, a charge on Jordy Shipmonger. Was I don't think anybody would want to take a charge against a guy like that. That's that's a load coming in, but he did it, and um, but he ended up getting a little roughed up and then left the game. So um, you know, again, with, with Bones having kind of a quiet start to the second half, Jameer was one of those guys who was helping to keep the, the charge going until uh, so Dave made his run down down the stretch, but. Um, I think I think he was a X factor playing 20 minutes as well. Um, uh, he just really made himself into a, a very uh, dependable rotation player for them the last several games. Yeah, I mean, I'd say Watkins is probably the favorite if I had to take a guess as to who will win sixth man of the year, but really was kind of the quintessential performance for him. We saw him struggle a little bit the last two games as a starter, but just rolled right into his perfect bench roll today. Three field goals made that's indicative of what we've seen all season, but I'm glad you brought up Vince Williams because he was alarmingly absent from the end of the game. And this is where your great reporting comes into play. I completely forgot until I read your post-game piece that he was the victim of that Jordy Shimonga hard foul. And, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen, who hasn't seen him before, Jordy Shimonga is the largest human being that I've ever seen up close and in person. And so I would imagine that that hurt bad, but when he wasn't out there, I was actually afraid that he had re-aggravated the injury he suffered in the Davidson game. Right. You, tuck, you tuck that right at the bottom of your piece, and it just it came to me right there. And You know, got to say, you have been invaluable to us this last week and a half, and I think you have to a lot of people trying to figure out what's going on with Bones, what's going on with Vince Williams. I know for me and for Matt, we've been going to your Twitter account first and foremost for those updates, so... I, we certainly appreciate that, and I think a lot of A10 Twitter does. Oh, thank you, thank you so much. It means a lot. Yeah, it's uh, you know trying to provide updates. I know um, you know no, I, Mike Rose has been one of the best I've, I've seen as far as like um, providing injury updates because a lot of coaches will say you know we're not going to give it up, we're not going to say anything about injuries or be very vague about it. But if you ask, like Mike Rose will provide as much as he knows. Um, so um, you know, been uh, just kind of thank him for, for providing an update. Like I said, I reached back out yesterday and was able to get a little update about what was going on with the guys. So. Uh, they're trying to put that out there. And I know um, they probably didn't want to say for, for sure whether or not he was going to play, you know, leading up to. They didn't want to give that much away probably. But uh, I was glad to be able to get a little bit of update yesterday that he was at, at least practice because that was a big question. Like, if he, if he didn't practice, then he wasn't going to play. So the fact that he had practiced, that, that made it a good sign that he probably was going to play. So, um, so yeah. I got to say, knowing that Bones Highland is the competitor he is, once I heard that he had practiced yesterday, I figured he was going. I didn't know how healthy he would be, but that guy is just, he loves the game so badly. I figured if he is good enough to lace up the shoes, he's not going to skip a huge game like this.
No, and uh, you know, there's so much, so much. Uh, I guess that's that's not normal about this season, and um, even go back to the end of last year that you sometimes forget little details, like uh, which uh, my colleague David Teal, our, our columnist at the Times Dispatch, wrote a great column about Bones' performance and mentioning the fact his headline was the fact that uh, you know this was Bones' postseason debut. Because uh, you almost forget this was how crazy of a year has been that um, you know the last year the A10 tournament was canceled so VCU didn't get to play in, in any postseason play last year because um, the UMass game they were supposed to play in last year's A10 tournament was canceled just before tip off so uh, tonight was was his postseason debut so again that's another reason why he definitely probably didn't want to want to miss it it's his first taste of like you know March March Madness so <laughs> so any perform yeah and you know I. I almost forgot too. not only that, but they were on the court warming up. So they were even closer than most to getting to taste that, uh, that postseason debut for not only him, but Hassan Ward. Um, I guess a lot of the, the other guys who made their debuts are all freshmen. But before we move on to tomorrow's matchup, any, any final thoughts of things that really stood out to you? I, I know personally, I just want to, I, I want to give some commendments to the perimeter defense they pushed Dayton far up on every play the same way they did in the first two games. And I can tell you as someone who watched every second of Dayton Rhode Island yesterday, the Flyers offense just looked like a completely different team today. They never got into any comfort or rhythm whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I definitely agree with that. And I would point on the defense too. Um, I would say just Ace Baldwin on, on Jalen Karcher, like uh, Ace, Ace all year, but particularly, um, you know, games like tonight, like he doesn't, doesn't look like a freshman and playing against one of the best players in the conference, a senior experience, um, you know, point guard like Jalen, I think he, he held his own. Like Jalen, Jalen did end up getting his points late, but um, by and large early on when, when BC was pulling away, I think he did a good job on, on Jalen, um, putting the pressure on him throughout the game and, um, and so I think that was, that was a key performance too. And Ace, Ace has been invaluable for the, for this team as a, coming as a freshman playing in, in such a, a, a um, you know, guard strong league like, like the A-10, uh, I think throughout the years really held his own. So, um, and, and that showed again tonight. Yeah, and you know, Ace really kind of got his first experience guarding Crutcher tonight too. Even though he's taken so many tough assignments throughout the year, it was a lot more of Bones Highland's responsibility in the first two games. And so that just makes it all the more impressive. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, you know, uh, Ace um, had come out with foul trouble the last game, you know, at Dayton. And, I, you know, Bones, Bones had told Mike Rose that he wanted to guard Jalen Crutcher. And he, he kind of locked him down in that last game. So, like you said, yeah, this is Ace, Ace's first real, like, full taste of that doing. And I think he did a, a pretty good job, even though Dayton um, kind of turned it on a little bit late and made it a close game. And, Crusher here some shots, but uh, I think he put the pressure on pretty well. Yeah, I wasn't even going to mention the comeback. Uh, this game closed pretty close, uh, two-possession game, but I know personally I, I kind of started to write it off as being done when you got to about the eight-minute mark. VCU just had the clamps on the whole game, so to me it kind of just felt like one of those false comebacks that was never quite going to be finished. And mm -hmm. Part of that's because VCU was just destroying Dayton's press, but yeah. Now we, we move on to the semifinal game. Personally, the, the latest A-10 semifinal I ever remember seeing on the schedule. Uh, Saturday night at the dark hour of 9 p.m., VCU is going to play the three-seed Davidson, who, of course, they faced just a mere seven days before, lost by eight points in a game where Bones didn't play. Vince Williams left with 10 minutes to go. So, Wayne, I got to ask you, what – what can VCU do differently tomorrow that will help them to get over the hump this time? Yeah, uh, I think the big thing is, you know, it just sounds like for me, <laughs> coach speak, but, you know, my girls have said, you know, after the Saturday game, you know, at Davidson to finish regular season that, um, you know, the, the guys didn't follow the game plan, you know, they as far as, you know, minimizing turnovers, one, and two, um, minimizing bad shots. To, um, so, so uh, you know, I think just following the game plan tomorrow and then, you know, obviously having uh, Bones back and they'll hope to get Vince back as well uh, will make it make a, a big difference. But, um, you know, against a, a team like Davidson, you have to have discipline because, you know, Davidson's going to hit their shots. Like the way they run the offense, it's a challenge to defend, particularly for a young team like VC. Maybe they, they learned some, you know, doing it um, just a week ago, but just that emotional offense, the movement off the ball. And, uh, and then you got Luka Brockovich inside, who's, you know, is, he has such an old school post game, like he'll back you down and then and they hit, hit a hook shot over you. And it's so hard to defend because there's not a lot of guys that, um, you know, play like that particularly in this league. So, um, so, you know, I think, I think, I think they just minimize 
minimize our own mistakes, which turnovers have been um, something that's kind of been a little bit of Achilles heel, even through their success this year, minimize those turnovers and um, just a good shot, shot selection, run their offense on um, the way that the way they want to run it. I think they'll be okay. And um, you know, they, they'll definitely take another 30 points from, from bones. That wouldn't hurt either. <laughs> and to me, there were really two problems in the last game. One of them should be easy to solve just simply having Highland and Williams back should address a lot of the offensive issues. And when you dove into that box score, Jameer Watkins shoots four for 16. Ace Baldwin shot one for six with two assists. Really just those two trying to carry the offense down the stretch. The Williams injury really seemed like it took the air out of that team. They just were not the same without him. And so a lot of those problems should be easy to fix with their full squad. To me, the big X factor is how they deal with Reykjavik because all of the guys who were responsible for defending him last game are going to be back on him this game. And he, he really just put it to VCU centers in the one-on-one -on -one matchup. So I'm very curious to see what Rhodes does because I assume he's going to have something up his sleeve, whether it's dropping more double teams or maybe even giving Hassan Ward a chance to guard him out of position. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's that's tough. And that's I guess obviously the way to construct your team for a reason that way. Because like you said, if you if you help on him, then that's probably gonna open up one of their perimeter shooters, and you know you don't you don't want them to get hot behind the arc either. So it will be interesting to see how they handle that. Because like you said, there was nobody really nobody had, was was a match for his game, Luca's game, last game. Um, again, maybe maybe it helps that they played them now this year and, and they have that experience. Because two of those guys, you know, Levi and Son, um, well, just just Levi that hadn't had any experience, you know, guarding, you know. Uh, Luke before really so uh, that was the first first game against Davidson this year with the, with the postponements and stuff so um, so I don't know maybe that experience will help but it will be interesting or maybe you just say you know you, you guard the perimeter better and um, and, and let Luca try to beat you and, and be the only guy where if you lock down you know guys like um, you know Kellen and guys like that so we'll, we'll see we'll see if you know how they, they it'll be interesting to see how they handle that but um, and, and then also Davidson hit 17 threes you know get George Mason too so um, you know you don't want them to let you don't want them to let that, that carry over to the next day so I think they might end up just kind of focusing on perimeter and just seeing seeing what they can do inside with Luca. yeah Kellen Grady had 31 tonight as part of that massive barrage he only had 13 in the VCU game but hit two huge shots late and one of the things that stood out was that Vince Williams did a great job on him all game until Williams got hurt and all of Grady's really kind of big performance moments of the game came against either Ace Baldwin or someone else off of a switch. So I assume Williams will be tasked with that early on, but I guess it's uh, I guess it's prediction time. How, how do you feel about VCU's ability to get this done? And I think we got to remember, this is also on the Siegel Center home court once again for the Rams. Yeah. I think it's gonna be a close game, but I do think you know Bones being back uh, will, will be be the difference. So uh, I have to say, I think I think VC is going going to advance. Like Davidson again has just been a tough matchup for VC over the years. Like you talk about Roy Allen has been a, uh, you know kind of a thorn inside, but Davidson has been right there with them one you know four out of the last five against VCU. But um, you know having Bones just, uh, back healthy in the way it looked tonight, I think that could be the difference. But again, they just have to defend them better and. Um, you know, if they if they do fall down, you don't want them to do what which they've done sometimes when, when they're falling back is uh is uh, as Rose would say, try to hit, try for the home run play and, and at least a bad, bad shot shot you know trying to get it all back at once. Uh, you, you don't want to do that because that's again what hurt them last Saturday. So um, so yeah, I think I think Bones could be will be the X factor, be the difference compared to last Saturday. But um, I think I still think it'll be a close game. Should be should be a fun one. Um, and you know, it's hard to say that in the type of shooting that Davidson had tonight will carry over to another day, but. Uh, the fact that they got that hot has to be concerning for VCU too. So, uh, like we talked about, we're interested to see how to defend them uh, with Luca being a problem inside too. Yeah, and much like we saw with UMass today, going from St. Joseph's to St. Louis, I think Davidson's three-point shooting is going to come down just simply from the fact that VCU just has a better defense than George Mason does. Mm -hmm. But I, I got to admit, this is the toughest prediction I've I've had on a game this whole tournament. It's the first one where I really – just don't have a great grasp on it. And to me, I, I'd certainly give the edge to VCU. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take them to win in a close, maybe two, three point victory right here. My biggest fear is just that we see Bones Highland kind of limping around again, like we saw at various moments throughout today, but that tomorrow, instead of that coming with an incredible 30 point performance, 
maybe the maybe the leg issues get to him and it's a 10 point performance all I know is Bones is going to have to have another great game for the Rams to win but I think he will and I'm going to ride with that as my prediction for tomorrow yeah and that's a great point too because uh, again with, with Bones talking about that the you know the issue was cramping you know, playing on back-to-back, playing, you know, the next night, like, does that fatigue kind of set in more earlier in the game? And also another another thing that was mentioned with Bird said that um, Bones uh, twisted an ankle late in the game as well, and that was why he was dealing with a little bit of pain, you know, late, late in the game too. He said it'll be all right, but, you know, Bones has been banged up. Even even before the foot spring, he had um, a hip flexor issue. He had a knee issue uh, a couple games before that. So uh, he's had a lot of like, little ailments this year. So, you know, you hope for him that he uh, – you know, he's uh, as close to full strength as possible tomorrow, but it's, it's tough playing on a back-to-back for any team, um, especially for, for you know, when they're two best players. You know, you know, Vince and Bones have been dealing with some injuries lately, so so we'll see. Yeah, and, you know, if Bones looked as great as he ever has when the game was at full speed tonight, but little things coming down after rebounds, walking back to the huddle. He had a little hitch in his step, but I'm comp- – you know what? I'm fully confident that he's going to fight through it. That man loves the game of basketball and he is a fighter. So I expect him to have a big night and I expect to see yet another great article from you tomorrow night after that game, Wayne Epps. So for anyone who isn't already following you, where can they find your work? Uh, it's on Twitter at, uh, at, at Wayne Epps Jr. And then um, you know, online Richmond, Richmond, for the Times Dispatch is richmond.com. Um, you can find richmond.com slash sport. So, Yep, some great stuff on there. You put up a, a good post-game piece, a lot of quotes from Bones, uh, kind of just covering this game more in depth in addition to what we just talked about now. Thank you for joining us, or thank you for joining me. I guess I'm alone right now. <laughs> but thank you again for having me. Uh, thank you for, you know, covering the league so well as well and getting everybody involved. Like 18, 18 Twitter and 18 coverage is so fun. That's, that's one thing I've enjoyed is, you know, seeing the coverage of other teams and, and all of the chatter online. So uh, thank you for what you do as well. Yeah, I mean, we got, we got a great community right there. And I, I know I know we get a ton of enjoyment out of it. We're sitting on our couches. We, we don't have to watch the game. We don't have to cover the team in full. So we get uh, – we get the full in-game Twitter experience from the crazy fans. For sure. But thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. All right, a big thank you to Zach Miller of the Midtown Madness podcast to come on, talk St. Louis with us, and Wayne Epps Jr. of the Richmond Times-Dispatch coming on to talk VCU with us. And thank you to all of you listeners who have, en- who have enjoyed the show this season. We're going to continue to put things out as we head towards the A-10 championship. Just remember, give us five stars on iTunes if you like the show. Be sure to leave us comments. You can send anything to us on Twitter, the number 3BidLeaguePod, or by our Gmail, 3BidLeague at gmail.com. Let us know what we could be doing better. Let us know what we're doing well. Thanks for listening. Everybody stay safe out there and enjoy the rest of this great basketball.